Hello. The BBC's Director-General, Tim Davey, will soon need his own office in the Houses of Parliament, so frequent are his visits to Westminster. On Thursday morning, he was up before the Commons Public Accounts Committee to clarify his vision of the corporation's digital future. The other thing is, we're not actively putting a date for switchover or doing anything stupid. My metric is that your constituents get value for the licence fee. Simple as that. That's our strategy. And it's their choice on how they consume. One of our roles, however, is what we know, and this is a broader conversation for the UK, is when people go across the digital, the experience can be good. For a whole lot of reasons. They save money on data, information, blah, blah, blah. We're going to have a lot of services delivered by digital, so getting older populations to ingress. This is a broader conversation that we need to have as the UK. The BBC can say, are you interested in old programming like I am? Are you interested in the old radio comedies? Digital can provide more and we'll come to the than broadcast can. So, I, and By the way, what we are finding is large numbers of the majority of people, over 55, over 65, when they move across, they don't come back. So, so we have to work together. That's all we're trying to do here. They grilled him on the plans to merge the BBC News and BBC World channels. Three presenters, David Eads, Tim Wilcox and Joanna Gosling, are reported to have taken redundancy deals rather than compete for their existing jobs. That leaves 15 current employees competing for six jobs on the new channel due to be launched in April. Well, while this podcast is called Beebwatch, we do try and keep an eye on other public service broadcasters. Last week, for example, I talked to Peter Bazalgette, the ex-chairman of ITV, about what he called the existential threat facing the public service media. This week, we're turning our attention to Channel 4, which the government has finally decided not to privatise. On Radio 4's media show on Wednesday... The Culture Secretary, Michelle Donlan, explained why and outlined the reforms she would like to see at the channel. She wanted to strengthen the assessments of due impartiality and could not resist telling the BBC it still had a problem in that area. The government also wants to make it easier for Channel 4 to borrow money, move more jobs out of London, update its governance structures and have the ability to make some of its own programmes. At the moment, the channel is a publisher-broadcaster. Well, up until a couple of years ago, Dorothy Byrne was editor-at-large at the channel, having been its head of news and current affairs for many years. She is now president of Murray Edwards College, Cambridge. She is known in the industry for her frankness, having called Boris Johnson a liar during a speech at Edinburgh. She called the plan to privatise Channel 4, which was strongly pushed by Miss Donnellan's predecessor, Nadine Doris, as laughable. I asked her why. Well, it didn't make any sense at all. It was proposed by a person, Nadine Doris, who thought that Channel 4 relied on public money, which it doesn't. So I think it is very important to establish that it came from the mind of somebody who did not understand the financial and commercial model of Channel 4. But I think that's true, but she's only the last in the line of a number of people in this government who wanted to privatise Channel 4. She's not on her own. And, you know, you look back at John Whittingdale, who's pursued this issue for almost time immemorial. There is a very significant branch of the Conservative Party determined on privatisation. 
Over many years, I mean, I worked at Channel 4 for more than 20 years, successive governments would go, oh, it's so obvious, let's privatise Channel 4. But then when they actually looked at it, they ended up deciding not to privatise Channel 4. And the only person as culture secretary who went ahead with it and announced it was happening was, in fact, Nadine Doris. And why do you think that was? I mean, there are parts of the Conservative Party who are convinced that uh, Channel 4 is a sort of the guardian of the air and has an inbuilt bias against the Conservative government. They hold that very tightly to their breasts, don't they? I don't think that that is why that small rump of Tories, if I may call them that, wanted to privatise Channel 4. I think that there is a group of Conservatives who just think privatising things are really good. And to that group, it's sitting there like a ripe plum, isn't it, in its gorgeous big building designed by Richard Rogers in Channel 4, in the Horse Ferry Road, just near Parliament, and putting out lots of programmes that make money from advertising. So they think, well, that must be a success, we'll sell it off. But they're only going to get, if they were to sell it off, perhaps, well, nobody knows, but maybe two billion, which is in, a lot in the short term, not much in the long term. And, of course, would have united the opposition of almost the whole of the independent sector who saw their businesses threatened. So I can understand why the Conservatives decided in the end against privatisation, but they haven't stopped their plans to reform and to change the network. And their argument for doing so is fundamentally two, as far as I can see. One is Channel 4 needs to raise more capital and Channel 4 needs to make its own content. So they're not going to privatise, but they do propose changing the channel. They also propose updating its governance structures without spelling that out. And they also say that they want to have a new section about impartiality. So the government may have turned against privatisation, but it is insistent that Channel 4 reform and change. Do you think that proposition to make its own content, not, of course, there'll be plenty of scope, I'm sure, for independent producers, but that's a significant move to get the channel to make its own content so that it can retain rights, presumably make profits of that. Do you think that's a reasonable change? I think it's reasonable to look at whether Channel 4 should do that. Channel 4, through it coming into existence, created the independent television sector, which is now worth billions of pounds a year and is one of the most vibrant and successful sectors in the UK. If Channel 4 starts to make its own programmes... Will that undermine that sector? And I think you need to really look at that because one of the things Channel 4 does in terms of independent production, which other organisations which commission from independent companies wouldn't do, is it deliberately targets companies 
from the nations and regions, from diverse backgrounds. It helps companies to build. I have done this myself when I worked at Channel 4. It doesn't just go to the big companies that are already successful. It's helping to build the companies of the future. If Channel 4 is making some of its own programmes, will it inevitably start to do less of that? So I think we need to review how that would work in practice. Just on that point, there's bound to be less to go around because if you start to make your own, some independent producers you know, will lose out. That's inevitable. And isn't there another consequence here? I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the other consequence, there'll be a real temptation within Channel 4 to make very popular programmes which will sell abroad because that's how you make money. And that is that what Channel 4 is for? To make international hits? Well... You are right that there would be less money to go around and that is something that would have to be reviewed and assessed as to how that worked. If Channel 4 was to make its programmes, what percentage of its programmes should it make? And would it make Channel 4 take its eye off the ball regarding building independent new independent production companies. You would have to think about that. Regarding whether it would mean that Channel 4 would want to make very popular programmes, well, good. Yes, it should. And it always has done. So I think it would be a good thing if, in principle, if Channel 4 was allowed to make some of its own programmes, which it could then sell round the world and make money so long as that money came back as currently all revenues in Channel 4 do towards making programmes that are important and vital to British democratic life. That is news, current affairs, documentaries, in-depth dramas about difficult social issues. So you would have to be careful that it was not going to change the whole ethos and purpose of Channel 4. And presumably make sure that the executives don't pay themselves too much money. Some of the salaries paid at Channel 4 are eye-opening. The chief exec gets well over, well, twice what the Director General of the BBC gets. Somebody's got to keep an eye on that as well. But moving on to the, if I may, on to another issue here, which is this preoccupation which the government has about impartiality. On Wednesday, uh, Michelle Donlan, the secretary, uh, the culture secretary, said the BBC still had a problem of impartiality. And I noticed that in the reform she's proposing for Channel 4, they said there'll be a new section in, your annual, in Channel 4's annual report assessing due impartiality. So what she thinks is the BBC and Channel 4 have a bit of a problem with impartiality. Do you think that's true? I don't think that Channel 4 does have a significant problem with due impartiality. I don't think Channel 4 needs to be worried, afraid or concerned in any way by having its due impartiality assessed I think what does worry me 
is the idea that fit people to judge and assess the due impartiality of a broadcaster are, are politicians. I think why our regulation works well at the moment in the United Kingdom is that Ofcom, and they are independent people, are the people who assess due impartiality. What is due impartiality is going to be different to a regulator than it is to Nadine Doris, for example. I would just say you always have to think of the worst possible politician being the person in charge when you set up any sort of protection for independent journalism. Nadine Doris would not have been the sort of person who would have been right to have anything to do with assessing impartiality. So by all means, strengthen the way that you assess impartiality, but don't have that done by politicians. And yet Channel 4, when it was set up, was set up in part to be a more opinionated channel. Now, you can argue that its obligation to provide diversity of opinion, that it didn't do that, but it was set up to allow different sorts of programmes to be made to those on the BBC and ITV, with more opinions being expressed, although, and I have a sort of personal axe here, um, because a right to reply, the, the programme that, that allowed listeners to talk back, as it were, that was, again, a sort of balance to the idea you can do more opinionated programmes, but you must allow the audience then to challenge what you've done. So if Channel 4 is not allowed to make more opinionated programmes, it's got to get closer to the BBC, isn't it? It's not about the programmes being opinionated. It's about encouraging Channel 4 to have a wide range of opinions in its programmes and then balancing those opinions with other opinions within that programme or elsewhere. Did you find it quite tough to do that? Because most people would say... I'm afraid, that, that you could clearly identify Channel 4 as left liberal. Now, they may be right, they may be wrong, but that's what they would think. And therefore, they were obviously, uh, those people were surprised and some would be pleased that Andrew Neil appeared on, uh, on Channel 4. But uh, was, uh, you were in charge at that time weren't you, of encouraging such things. Was it difficult to persuade people that someone like Andrew Neil had a place on Channel 4? Well, I put all sorts of people on Channel 4... Peter Hitchens made several programmes for me. Peter Oborn made several programmes for me. These are really interesting right-wing thinkers. And I would encourage Channel 4 to put more right-wing thinkers on, so long as you're always giving the alternative point of view within a programme or in another programme, there isn't a problem about having a very wide range of radical views. Well, you say there shouldn't, there isn't a problem, but if you think there should be more right-wing voices on, that's a clear implication there aren't enough already, brackets, too many left-wing voices. And, you know, a lot of people who are sympathetic to Channel 4 
do think it betrays that bias and does betray a bit of a metropolitan bias, which is why a lot of them will be very supportive of the government's idea uh, of moving jobs outside of London so that people in Leeds or Manchester or wherever have a greater say in the editorial input. I mean, you yourself worked for Worked at World in Action in Manchester, didn't you? And that World in Action, because it largely came from Manchester, had a completely different feel from, say, the Panorama programme I edited in West London. I absolutely agree that more of Channel 4's teams and more of its programmes should come from outside London. It's built a fantastic headquarters in Leeds and more people should be there because you are completely right. When programmes come from outside London, they simply are different. And a key reason that so many television journalists did not see the result of the Brexit vote coming was that too many of them were based in London. If more of them had been based outside London, in the north of England, they would have seen that things were changing in the country. So, yeah, I'm completely for that. When I started out in TV, I started in Manchester, and the fact is that if you live in Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, or the north of England, you see Britain differently. And I'll give you one example. The connection between Leeds and Manchester on the train is so awful that it completely affects the passion that you feel about changing this railway system. But the people who are making programmes about transport over decades in this country all lived in London, and they were forever making programmes about the tube. But don't you think there's another issue which is slightly more difficult here, which is that London is so now very different in terms of its racial makeup and diversity that we, we have moved, I think there's some Ofcom figures to suggest this, to over-representing on-screen racial minorities. Now, that's a very difficult thing to say, but it appears to be the case. So on the one hand, there aren't sufficient people from minority backgrounds in positions of power in broadcasting, but there's now an over-representation of people, minorities and people of colour, on screen. In my view, that's probably because most programmes are made in London, and London is so very different now from large parts of the country. So that's another more delicate issue to deal with, isn't it? I think that what you see in broadcasting is a representation of ethnic diversity on screen which is not reflected at all in the running of organisations. And it's really important that broadcasters don't just make it look like they're more diverse and not actually be diverse. Well, I agree with that, but the other point of it is if they look more diverse than the whole than the country, not more diverse than London, but more diverse than the rest of the country, 
Then, you know, you were talking about why people didn't understand about Brexit and the feeling out there. Part of the feeling is that they are not represented, that ordinary people, if you like, are underrepresented. That's a very delicate issue for, for broadcasters to deal with, but I think there's some element of truth in that. I have not heard viewers or members of the public complain about that. What I have heard them complain about is the lack of northern and national accents on their programmes and their feeling that the broadcasters in this country over-represent London in particular in terms of content. And that is definitely true. There is just too much about London and too little about the North. Now, when I've been talking to you, I'm quite struck by the fact that you're really quite supportive in principle of a lot of the measures for reform that the government is considering, although we need to see more detail about governance impartiality, but moving more people out of London, producing more out of London. Uh, you would obviously support the government proposals for Channel 4's increased investment in skills and training, which has always been something I know very important to you. But when you were commenting in your opinion piece in The Guardian, you said, now it's time for big ideas. Now, that implies to me that there needs something else needs to be done. And then you stand back a little. You can say, when Channel 4 started... A lot of its focus was on youth, understandably, because that was an area that needed to be catered for. But with TikTok and everything else, there's an immense challenge there. Do you think one, that Channel 4 needs a bigger and a different vision now? Or does the original vision articulated by Jeremy Isaacs hold? It's just that, it's illustrated, that we will find different ways of answering the basic the same questions. I think... It is interesting to me that I'm so in sympathy with much of what the Conservatives are saying they now want to do for Channel 4. And that might surprise people because I've been very critical of the Tories. But I'd say at last we're hearing a bit of common sense. But if we're going to reimagine Channel 4 for the future and make its future sustainable... I don't think it's enough to just say, well, the original vision was really good. I think this is a moment to say, well, how should that vision change? And is that a vision just for Channel 4? Or do you think there needs to be a wider debate about public service broadcasting? Because some people that I talk to, myself as included, I suppose, worry that the BBC is securing its future as an international business but has not yet really articulated a clear vision of public service for the next 20, 30 years. In other words, it's not just a question that Channel 4 needs to answer. Maybe all public service broadcasters need to think hard about this and redefine what they're doing. I absolutely agree that we need a big new vision for what public service broadcasting is going to be in this country but I think we've got a wider problem in Britain and maybe in the whole of Europe and maybe in the whole of the western world we seem to have run out of big ideas we seem to have lost the confidence 
to have exciting new thinking. Look at the brilliant new thinking that went into the creation of the NHS. Look at the brilliant new thinking that went into the creation of Channel 4 or of the BBC. But what is happening now in this country is that we just seem to think, well, we'll repair the institutions that we've got instead of daring to have exciting new ideas about what we do. So I am critical of the idea that we get rid of the BBC licence fee without knowing what we're going to replace it with. But I am equally critical of the idea that the NHS can just go on being fundamentally the same in structure for the next 50 years. You see, what you're describing there essentially, I think, if I may say so, is that we're confusing means and ends. The end is public service broadcasting. The end of the NHS is better health for the nation. The means we choose to try and achieve those ends may need to alter. But if we commit ourselves to the means, we may find they're outdated. So if we're pushing on that point, we almost need a fresh definition of what public service is in terms of broadcasting or, or media, perhaps we should say, and then look at the ways, the best ways of delivering that instead of simply reforming what we've or changing what the means we've got, which may no longer be appropriate. But like you, I look around and say, where is that debate about what public service broadcasting is? Now, a debate could be, uh, part of it could relate to science. You know, this consistent problem we have in schools and elsewhere, and as a country of not enough people going in science... Should we have a re- should we have a renewed commitment to that? Is that which is important? We could also look. At, I would prejudice, of course, in this one in terms of religion, its continuing importance, not least with the large growing Muslim population in this country, which I still don't think we represent properly on air. So how I I think, um, if I may, you know, declare myself that we need that larger debate before we play around with the structures that have delivered public service broadcasting in the past. But who's going to initiate that debate? I don't see it in Parliament, do you? Our politicians seem to have run out of ideas and run out of the confidence to express big ideas. They seem to be afraid that if they express a big idea, they will be so criticised that they don't dare say anything anymore. But in general debate, if, for example, you say the NHS at the moment is not working and therefore we need to think of new ways of delivering really good free public health care, you're immediately shot down. Even, it interests me, conservatives who dare to mention the idea maybe the NHS isn't perfect backtrack as soon as they're criticised there was a group of medics in Scotland who dared to say that thing and immediately they backtracked and similarly if you say the BBC licence fee that doesn't really make sense then you're portrayed 
as criticising the good which the BBC creates. Now, you could argue from that, actually, this is such fertile territory for Channel 4. You could actually say that these are precisely the questions that Channel 4 should now be asking about the NHS, about the BBC, maybe about... So maybe we've got to take some responsibilities ourselves, if we are producers, broadcasters, what are X, that it's in our hands to try and start that debate and maybe create space for for politicians. Because you're absolutely right. You know, Labour thinks that the NHS is its issue, so it doesn't want any real criticism. The Tories feel, well, we're vulnerable on that, we won't criticise it, result no debate, as you say, and therefore we look at these scandalous statistics in maternity hospitals and compare ourselves poorly with European cancer and everything else, and we tolerate it. There could be a same thing about energy security, couldn't there? A whole raft of other issues about need to redefine what defence means in a post-Ukraine world. This ought to be fertile territory for broadcasters and programme makers. I don't see it at the moment, though. We need broadcasters, particularly the BBC and Channel 4, to be leading the debate on the big issues of our society because our pusillanimous politicians will not hold those debates. I am sure there are lots of people in the Labour Party who think that the NHS does not work. I don't think that our education system works. I now work in a university. I don't think our university system works. Where are the big debates about those subjects? They're not in Parliament, so they should be on the BBC and on Channel 4 because that is the whole point of independent public service broadcasting. And the only way we'll get to those ideas is to do, in fact, what Channel 4 was set up to do, which is to bring in the more radical voices from the edges. And one of Channel 4's more recent issues has been that when it began, there were really radical ideas, but now those ideas are accepted. Early on, I made a programme saying that heroin should be given to heroin addicts so that they don't end up going out robbing people and taking contaminated heroin that kills them. That used to be regarded as a way out there idea. That's now regarded as a fairly mainstream view. So what we need to do is, as public service broadcasters, go back out and find out what are the big new radical ideas. Because we need those ideas because our society and our institutions, our institutions are failing. We know they're failing. The NHS is failing. Our schools are failing. We have terrible maths and science levels overall in our schools. And what are we going to do about these things? Uh, finally, I just want to... Cheer you you for that, I agree, absolutely. But one final thing I wanted to raise with you was you've always been very outspoken about the prejudice, to put it politely, that women have faced in the broadcasting industry and largely neglected and overlooked and so on. 
Is that one area in which you now think there has been substantial progress, that young women coming into the industry now will have greater opportunities than those afforded to you and will meet less prejudice than you did? I definitely think it's much better for young women now. When I set out, you couldn't look to see where you might be going as a woman because everything was run by men. Now the head of news at the BBC, at ITN, at Channel 4, they are all women. But it has to be said that there is still a strong element of sexual harassment happening in the television industry and we have to do something about that. The group that who are really disadvantaged are working class people from the north and we really need to do a lot about that in broadcasting. Well, I'd like to continue a, a lot more, but thank you very much indeed for giving us so much of your time, Dorothy Byrne. Thank you very much. And that's it for this week. Please do support our attempts to air this discussion on public service broadcasting by subscribing to our podcast for just £1.99 per month. You'll find the link to subscribe on our website and in the description of this programme on your podcast platform. You can get in touch with interview ideas and questions on Twitter by using at bbroger or on Mastodon using at rogerbolton at mastodonapp.uk. Or you can send an email to roger at rogerboltonsbeebwatch.com. And if you didn't know already, this podcast was presented by me, Roger Bolton, and it was produced by Kate Dixon. The sound was by Clifton Bank Studios, and special thanks to Quinn Genty. It was a good egg production. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs>